Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, Solar Warrior, welcome back to this Tactical Tuesday, practical advice and insights into how you can win in the clean energy revolution. I hope that you are excited about today's episode. I certainly was, and I got a chance to record with Mr. John Berger, CEO of Sunova, in person at Sarah Week. That's C-E-R-A, Sarah Week by S&P Global. If you're unfamiliar, I've heard it described as the Davos of energy, and I have to say kudos to the S&P folks for pulling off what I consider to be one of the best conferences I've been to. Now, it could possibly be that it's the, it's only the second conference I attended now live in for, in three years, but I was genuinely blown away by the scale and quality of the event itself. It's held in Houston every year for the last, I think, like 30 or 40 years, and it has a tremendous following. People came from around the world. And while I was there, my friend Alina over at Sunova helped connect the dots with John, and John and I got a chance to sit down where I could ask him some interesting questions I think you'll find about his perspective of being a clean energy entrepreneur in the heart of oil and gas right there in Houston. If this is the kind of thing that tickles your fancy, I hope that you will subscribe to Suncast because that's how you won't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this. These Tactical Tuesdays and Practical Long Form Thursday Executive Profiles. Hope to have John back soon to do one of those, one of the many executives we still have yet to cover here on Suncast. Of course, you can always check out more than 450 additional founder stories and startup advice over at mysuncast.com or right in the podcast player of your choice. I hope you will do that by subscribing and getting notified when the next episode comes out. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. I'm here with John Berger, CEO of Sonova. Many of you are aware of Sonova, but you may not be as aware of John and his background. So today at Sarah Week by S&P Global, I wanted to sit down with John and get his thoughts on the nature of the energy transition from inside the capital of energy, the global capital, some say. John, good to have you on Suncast again. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, taking the time out of a very busy schedule. You have, uh, you have been booked solid here in, uh, at Sarah Week. And thanks to your team for helping organize this. For those who are unfamiliar, I've been told Sarah Week is the Davos of energy. I don't know if you might describe it in some other way, but would you help us understand Sarah Week? For those who are completely ignorant to the fact that this show even exists, as I was several weeks ago. Yeah, so Sarah Week uh, was started by uh, Dan Jurgen, uh, Jamie, um, and uh, what they did was uh, Dan wrote a book called The Prize, and it was all about the origins of the oil industry, and it was a Pulitzer Prize winning book. You know, a few years ago, got the opportunity to uh, know Dan through a private equity, one of our, uh, you know, actually the largest owner of the company's equity when we were private. First of all, when you meet Dan, it, it's the Dan Jurgen, um, and so uh, it, it's it's all it's it's definitely all inspiring. 
but then to hear about you know vision of the uh, change of the energy business that that he had and Jamie had, and then how are they going to change Sarah Week uh, for that? And so we've been a part of that ride from the very first time of adding just a couple of solar folks, maybe and and battery folks or whatever wind and and so forth, and to now something that's a full blown integration. I really admire what they've done here. Is it? It would have been, you know, the standard operating procedure would have been to have Sarah Week for oil and gas and then Sarah Week for the alternative energy, which I hate that term. It's renewable energy, but they put it all together. And that's the right way to do uh, and to think about is, is that the energy business is now much more than just oil and gas. And put by forcing everybody to communicate, to talk together, to, to see each other, I think uh, we're definitely, in, and they're a part of leading, pushing, they being Sarah Week pushing uh, folks to, to recognize that the energy business is transitioning and changing. You know, we talk about Houston and the oil and gas industry and this being really the hub and the heartbeat of the oil and gas industry. For a future conversation, I'd love to get much more in depth about your background in energy broadly, oil and gas, and, uh, and your transition over to running not one, but several solar companies. But as such, you are in the renewable space and a, a critical component to what we refer to as the energy transition. So I'm curious, as a clean energy advocate, how do you engage with your friends on the other side of the aisle, if we want to sort of speak to those this, to that terminology around this topic of the energy transition? Yeah, I grew up in, in Bryan, uh, college station in Texas A&M, so it's about an hour or so down the road from Houston. Most of my uh, adult life after I graduated from A&M has, has been living in Houston, and uh, now have raised four kids in Houston. So we have deep, deep ties here. So I think it's fair to say that uh, the majority of my friends uh, that are CEOs are oil and gas CEOs um, of some sorts or centralized power that burns you know, natural gas and, and other hydrocarbons. So it's, uh, it, it has been a very interesting time period to build uh, three uh, solar companies in, in Houston. And what I would say is, is that uh, I think first and foremost is you can't take yourself too seriously. Uh, so there's some jokes that are meant to be jokes that they say, uh, obviously at my expense or our industry's expense, you know, and, and and sometimes they're meant to be jokes and sometimes they're meant to be pot shots. And you take them, you take them both the same. I think, I think more, I spend a lot of time of, you know, just not going there. Um, and like, uh, yeah, there's, there's certain things that I just don't, say and do because it just it's it's just controversial and so forth and it's like you know the the old rule of thumb you don't bring up uh, politics and religion at a table right uh, you just don't do it and so some sometimes uh, that is definitely the way to to handle things the, there's other uh, times that uh, and are quite frequent uh, but uh, that you can engage in in discussion and I think that it's very helpful and this has been Sonova's perspective on things. Uh, consistently all the way since its birth till, till now and will be is that this is an energy transition that we can't put solar panels on everybody's home by the end of this year or even next year we're going to need natural gas we're going to need um, oil for for a while we're going to need you know even coal to some degree now would i like to have that transition happen very quickly yes uh, climate change is real it's a real uh, you know human emergency but there's some practical limitations and realities now adding in the national security implications, the war that uh, Russia launched, you've got a, even more of an issue with how fast 
uh, can we displace you know hydrocarbons? And so I think it's most important to to re- remind everybody, including my oil and gas friends, that you know this is a transition. Uh, yes, we still need you, um, but on the other side is this transitioning is going to pick up and accelerate, and it's happening. So it's a, it's a much more middle of the road approach uh, of, of I think it's it's the reality that we're facing as as both a country and as a globe. And that seems to get everybody on the right side of things, where you can just take a more middle of the road and t- instead of taking an extremist position, like so many other things that uh, happen uh, in our world today is much, much too much uh, extremism, much more, we should be more collaboration. What, if any, areas of pushback do you hear when you do get in the engagement side, not the avoidance of the conversation side? Well, I think the first and foremost uh, has been uh, subsidies. Um, I also remind them that the U.S. power industry is anything but a capital, a bastion of capitalism, um, and, and needs to be needs to have consumer choice. Uh, you know, the utilities are are literally, you know, socialism and communism, um, and uh, you know this is something that is very foreign to the oil and gas industry, even those that uh, are very experienced in it. Um, and for the life of me, I don't understand why that's foreign to them, but because it's been true for decades and decades. And it needs to change. And so I point that back. And there are subsidies in oil and gas, and they were put in there for national security purposes, which I think we should be putting in for solar and batteries. And I think they're coming with regards to manufacturing uh, subsidies uh, for solar you know, uh, modules and, and batteries, et cetera. Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, so that's my counterpunch to them as well as saying, hey, wait a minute, the energy business is heavily politically involved, government involved unfortunately, and it's definitely heavily subsidized. Second thing is the old, well, you know, it doesn't, uh, w- you know, it doesn't work when the wind don't blow and the sun don't shine. Ah, I mean, I, yeah. I, like, yeah, I had to take that for a while, all right, up until batteries became uh, pretty prevalent out there and cost effective. Obviously, the battery prices will continue to drop as relative to to what's going on in utility rates out there. And, and more and more, um, I, my counterpunch is, hey, it's a battery. That's it's called a battery. I don't know, you know. So this is uh, something that can, you know, counter that that legitimate, you know, uh, claim of intermittency. I think. I think. Lastly, it's, um, you know, sometimes you get into, um, well, you know, it, it's, you know, y- you got some of the geopolitical issues. So you've got, you know, we've had to face this a lot in the last uh, year and a half or so with regards to, um, isn't everything that you uh, use made in China, which we have to remind ourselves up until two weeks ago, China was the big problem and boogeyman and so forth, not Russia. And uh, China will- might, It still remains. It still remains. It'd be a problem. <laughs> so, you know, that gets into how do you bring the manufacturing back to this uh, country and so forth. And again, I think that's going to happen. So those are the three major pushbacks that, uh, that I've uh, consistently deal with over the years. I love it. Subsidies, and I had not heard of the, uh, I hadn't thought really through the national security connection to subsidies for oil and gas. And I think that's a really prudent answer. Uh, intermittency, of course, and you know what you guys have done with battery attachment in Puerto Rico is a is a shining example that uh, look, this isn't an issue. This isn't a thing anymore. You're what ninety five percent, one hundred percent attachment right now in Puerto Rico. One hundred percent. Wow, that's remarkable. And then you know where it's made, and and I think it's easy to walk down the path with oil and gas or any other sector, the domestic versus foreign manufacturing process. And you're absolutely right. I'm very hopeful that uh, we won't hear pushback on where it's made in the not too distant future. On the flip side, where do you agree with them? 
Well, I think it, it's uh, it's very easy to agree with them that you know the energy business, whether it's oil and gas, whether it's centralized power, whether decentralized power, whether renewable power, you know, ought to have less government intervention, not more. And so we should drain the subsidies out of the entire industry. I think, unfortunately, the practical reality is is that the political will to do that is simply not there. And and so I agree with them. Subsidies should be exited. But I, I also would say that I've come to the conclusion that that's not going to happen anytime soon. I wish I, I hope to be proved wrong. I think on the intermittency side, look, it's, it's you know, sunlight's intermittent. I mean, that, that's just a fact. So you have to agree with that. But, you know, what goes with that is, you know, what kind of system are you putting around? What kind of storage medium with, a, you know, a energy storage uh, systems and so forth that you can supply to make intermittency not a problem? And then how do you handle, you know, the uh, distributed nature of solar and batteries with regards to centralized power? And I think that we ought to have the ability to have technology, and it is progressing to this point, to go all the way to the point is, are you connected to the utility or not? And should uh, we have the opportunity to maybe pay a $10 a month, $5 a month, $15 a month fixed fee to the utility or minimum price? I think that's fine, but anything north of that is anti-competitive behavior. And so, you know, my pushback is, is that the technology is going to continue to increase, storage can be a part of this, and you're going to have more options and you're going to have more reliability from solar and storage than you're going to get from, you know, an, a, a utility system that may be powered or most likely powered by combined cycle natural gas, coal, et cetera. Uh, you know, the last one I would say is, is that, look, uh, we've got this problem in the U.S. semiconductor industry. We're going to have to subsidize to bring the manufacturing back here before uh, maybe China does something with Taiwan, right? Uh, and so I think it's just a part of reality. Uh, and uh, it's something that uh, I can acknowledge. But uh, there's a lot more equipment being made in a lot of other countries, including the United States today, than there was even a year ago. And I think that uh, we're well on our way to accelerate that trend and, and solve uh, the problem of lack of U.S. manufacturing for solar and, and batteries. Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast, and you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Hexsolve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major U.S. developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless, pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I wanted to just let you know how much of an impact you have on Suncast. Yeah, you. Thank you for clicking play. Without you, this show is just me shouting into the void. But 
there's still people who don't even know about Suncast. I know. I can hardly believe it myself. (laughs) But that's where you can help me yet again. There's a simple way that you can show some love and help others discover the show. If you cruise over to www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast. I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and enthusiastic review. That's possibly the single kindest thing that you could do for me today. So if the show has helped, inspired, or even entertained you at all, I'd love it if you would head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast and give me a virtual two thumbs up. All right, back to today's episode. With regard to the broader topic of the energy transition, you've been in many ways pioneering the residential solar energy as a service model. You have been involved in energy sales writ large for the entirety of your career. You understand uh, in the ways that you've just uh, enunciated the complexity of the transition itself. What do you currently see as the largest impediments, as it were, to the energy transition right now that we need to address in the next 18, 24 months? I think, uh, you know, if you look at the, you know, for instance, the rise of the internet, the, the change in telecommunications with cellular telephony and so forth, you know, government had to get out of the way of technology and consumers for that transition to to happen and, and to happen at the pace that it did, which was relatively uh, rapid, right? And so therefore, I look at our industry, and I just said it, it was, it's heavily involved uh, in with by the government of all, the federal government, state, local, et cetera. We need to get the government out of the way of the consumer. We need, to, we need to have consumer choice to be something that is real and is an option for everybody in the country. We need to have the ability uh, to have companies and, and entrepreneurs start up new companies like I did with Sonova and go out there and be free from utility you know, actions that uh, try to limit the growth of, of companies and, and startups and, and entrepreneurs. And so it's really just getting the utilities and the government out of the way and let the market work, let the consumers choose. And I think that there's a, a path there to get that done. It will take a long time. I'm not naive. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But the at, at, if you look around even here at Sarah Week, you know, there's this idea that the big companies, the big oil and gas companies, the big, you know, the bigger you know, utilities, they're going to be the ones that solve the climate uh, crisis. They're going to be the ones that solve the national security uh, crisis. And I, and I put forth is, no, they're not. Um, it's going to be the entrepreneur. It's going to be the startup companies. It's going to be companies like ours. It's going to be companies that may not exist yet. That is the historical track record of every single industry. And why would it not be true here? And in the politicians on both sides of the aisle always want it to be the big companies. Why? Because that's easy. It takes, it takes no vision to go look ahead and say, who else is really going to make the transition? But remember this as a, a, a prof I had, at Clayton Christensen, Innovator's Dilemma. If you read that, you come away and you say, you know what? It's not going to be the big integrated oils that are going to solve this problem. It's going to be the startups out there, many of which I think are probably listening to, to your podcast now. And so I still fundamentally believe in that. And it's getting the others in, in government and industry to understand that that's exactly the, the same path, in my opinion, that we're going to take here to really make this transition go. And if we really want to accelerate it, turn it over in terms of the change to, uh, to the entrepreneurs, we'll get it done. I'm so incredibly jealous that you got to study with Christensen. Like, 
that you can say with my prof is uh is is a a hallmark of one of the one of the things that I just I appreciate so much about like you are you're so well read and you have a great breadth of experience. You know, one of the things that I didn't hear you say is something that comes up in almost every interview I do when I get down to the heart of the matter of how the entrepreneurs are growing their businesses and that is the human capital. It's the it's the largest constraint. And we on the renewable side have an obligation to to help them with that transition as well, because there are are well-trained, highly qualified people. A question that I often get from folks and lots of folks from, from Houston looking for jobs in renewables is where are the jobs? And I would would pose that to you. So our industry is not just solar. It is wind and hydrogen. It is geothermal and nuclear. And there are jobs for just about every category of, of person. For your business and the sector of distributed in particular, where do you see the greatest need right now? We actually are hiring across the board. You know, we're hiring a ton on the on the software development side. We're, you know, accounting, finance, um, in marketing, uh, business development, engineers, you know, customer service, service technicians. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so uh, it, it, chances are, whatever you're doing, you, you probably find a home uh, if there's a meeting of the minds you know, between uh, you, you and, and us. And, you know, I think what part of our success, I can tell you this, is has been Houston. Houston is the most demographically diverse city in the United States. Not L.A. or New York no. or Chicago? No. Mm. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry for those of you that thought <laughs> you, you had it. Uh, you don't. And that's a fact. And it's really been, if you look at the... Uh, makeup of our um, employee base uh, it, it is reflective of that. So a lot of folks think that, um, you know, uh, again, that maybe some firms in California or New York or wherever it may be, or would be more ahead of us on diversity. And, and you would think wrong. Um, we are actually the most, when I think the most diverse firm in the entire solar industry. So when you look towards the other aspect of Houston, as far as demographics, it is that we have a very, very large, multidisciplined uh, population base that's highly skilled in energy. It just, it just is highly likely it's not solar or batteries, right? Uh, so what? You know, we've got a number of starting at the very senior levels of the company, um, actually even including the board of directors all the way down, so to speak, uh, that all came from oil and gas. Mm. Um, and so it doesn't so, take a it doesn't take a three to five year track record no, in solar no, to get hired in no, the solar anymore. No. Uh, and it never should have. That's welcome it, news. Yeah, it never should have. <laughs> and by the way, you have to open the aperture. You have to train if you're going to grow an industry in a responsible fashion. I mean, you know, bidding people up and picking each other's folks off the same people back and forth, that that's not productive at the end of the day. We need to we need to bring in more folks. And by the way, bringing in more folks, guess what? They're also called voters, which we need against the biggest impediment, which is government and utilities. So I think this is something that has is, is been crucial for as far as our location here in Houston, our success. And uh, I would encourage more and more entrepreneurs and firms to come in and locate here and, and really take advantage of the benefits uh, that, that we've been, uh, been taking advantage of for our, over nine years now. Well, let's talk about that for a second in the area of workforce development. Is Sonova as a company internally developing? First of all, thank you for saying out loud we can't still continue this this practice of just hiring from our competitors 
And we need to slow down enough to train our people and be willing to bring people in the way that all of the mature industries do. Procter & Gamble will bring someone in and train them for six months before they ever put them on a post, right? So why are we any different? Uh, I've routinely time and time again heard from you and other executives say it takes three to six months at max to get someone up to speed. And surely you can put their uh, their otherwise completely useful skills to work in the meantime while they just learn uh, the, the vertical that is solar or wind or, or whatever renewable you choose. But what are you guys doing in the area of workforce development? Well, we've, we've uh, gone and engaged some of the community colleges in particular that are producing electricians and then try to, you know, uh, take the uh, uh, recently uh, graduated, I guess, electrician in training. Uh, there's a specific term, but it, forgive me, I don't know what it is. And then uh, move them up into fully licensed electricians. So that's one example. Uh, the other is uh, do a lot more increasing amount of outreach to the universities, Texas A&M, University of Texas, University of Houston, Rice University, and then and then elsewhere, and and uh, you know say you know come on board, we'll uh, we'll teach you the the industry, we'll teach you the business. We need to do a better job of training and developing training programs and uh, the just the muscles of basically building out the hiring of training and then you know be able to train more and more people. And we're putting a lot of emphasis on that. So I think I think my company has been deficient in this as well. I know it has, and and we're making amends on that and really building that out because we have to do this. Nico. We can't we can't continue to go and and keep doing the same thing we've been doing and expect to have the industry materially larger like we all need it to be. You shared a story that is exemplary of the the comment you made earlier about having a diverse staff. I was unaware, uh, and I would. I would challenge uh, other than companies that were started by uh, Latino Americans who are running businesses only focused on the Hispanic population, of which we now know there are, thankfully, uh, companies doing that. You have an enormous staff now that is bilingual. How did that come about? Well, it came about because uh, a lot of uh, uh, folks that are bilingual live here in Houston. And uh, so that's first and foremost. And it enabled us to go into Puerto Rico and in other parts of the Southwest United States that are, you know, Spanish is not only their first language spoken, it may be the only language that they speak. And so that really, again, opened up additional markets to us. And so it's something that's been with us, you know, almost from the beginning of the company. Um, and and I would also uh, say this, that um, I think, uh, it, you know, his, it, uh, Hispanics make up the largest demographic segment of the company. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, let's bring it home on the topic of, uh, of workforce development and folks who are looking to get into renewables. Maybe they're listening to this episode and they're here in Houston and they're trying to figure out where do I fit? I've been told by folks that because I'm in oil and gas, I don't qualify or I don't get callbacks because they see that I was most recently at name oil and gas company. Uh, what are the transferable skills that you found most directly applicable for yourself and others who have migrated over to renewables from oil and gas? Yeah, well, uh, one thing I'll say is even at this conference, people have come up to me. Obviously, I'm not going to name the company <laughs> names, but uh, they're like, I want to work and I want to yeah. come work, you know, it's Sonova. I like what I heard. So, you know, we're recruiting here and uh, we're, we're always recruiting, right? Look, some of this is really straightforward. Accounting skills are accounting skills. Finance skills are finance skills. You know, I, I would even say marketing skills are marketing skills. 
And then some of it's a little bit like in the engineering project management side, it's like, okay, yeah, you, you do need to have a, a more of an understanding about this, you know, specifics of solar modules and batteries, electrification and so forth than you would have coming out of oil and gas. Um, we, we don't need geophysicists here. I mean, so that there are just very small pockets of like, well, that's not applicable here. Um, the other thing is, is that uh, now that we're back into a, a supply constrained market for oil and gas, if you're really good at running a rig or something of that nature, uh, I've got a, I, I know this is true. You're going to get paid more by an oil and gas firm now. You know, that wasn't true as recently as 18, you know, 24 months ago. But now that is then what we could have, you know, pay you to even come in and do some of the projects and engineering here. You know, with that said, you know, when's that cycle of oil and gas going to go back down again? I think it probably is going to be longer than than we've experienced in most of our career uh, this time for, for you know, climate uh, change reason, for national security reasons, for just, you know, the limitations of, of uh, oil production and gas production around the world. But with that said, there will be another cycle down. And for us on this side of the energy business, there will not be. And we will continue to be growing for years and years on end. So, a lot of people are attracted, even though they could get paid more maybe now in the oil and gas sector, to go ahead and make the transition and say, you know what, I, I see this is the long-term stable path that I want to be put on. And uh, what we tell them is welcome aboard. John Berger is the founder and CEO of Sonova, one of the largest energy service companies operating in the renewable sector in America. And I would posit probably in the world. John, it's always a pleasure to have you on Suncast. Hope you'll come back. I will. Thank you, Nico. Thank you for having me. Wow. That was fantastic. Riveting, I would say. And every time I get a chance to meet John in person, I continue to be impressed with his thoughtful leadership and the fact that he is in the heart of oil and gas country and is leading with one of the most innovative companies in our industry. And he's leading on a number of fronts, not just building a great company that's solving problems, but also building a company that solves social problems, that is uh, investing in the Latin American community and other disadvantaged communities and acknowledging that the resources around him and them, his, his, his wonderful executive team, are capable of giving opportunity to so, so many people, as well as freedom and resilience and resourcefulness to so many homeowners. Thank you. John and Sonova, uh, this is definitely, this is an unpaid episode, by the way, for those who might be thinking Nico's gushing so much over John. It's not a paid episode. I just really admire the team and Sonova. Of course, you probably listened to Megan Nutting's episode there, VP of Corporate Policy. If you haven't, I encourage you to go back and listen to that from March. Such an interesting interview as well. And if you're eager to keep learning, then you, my fellow Philomath, can find resources and highlights from this and every other discussion on Suncast, along with the social media links for John and his team and the book recommendations or any other links we may have connected here through our research prepping for this interview. Do that over at mysuncast.com. If you're going to be online later today uh, or tomorrow, and I hope that you are, would you jump on LinkedIn and just find my profile, which is easily found if you're looking at the blog page for this episode, and you'll see my post for this episode. I would love it if you would leave a comment, engage with it there. Thank John for taking the time to join us on Suncast and let us know what you learned. And one final step is you could just share this with someone else who you think would benefit or resonate with it. Up this Thursday is an episode with my good friend, Simon Doble from Solar Buddy. This is an interview and an insightful one that you will not want to miss. It's a heartfelt look 
at an entrepreneur who is doing tremendous work around the world, bringing light to dark places. Thanks once again to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also how you can learn ways to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like SunGrow does every week. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.